Good evening, everyone. Tonight is uh, the uh, seventh session of our 2022 lecture series, and tonight's topic will be Christian speech. When I was um, in Tampa with Miss Rachel visiting about a month ago, I had some time to uh, kind of think about what we wanted to share tonight. And on speech, what I came up with, I thought we should probably work in would be public speech, private speech, negative speech, and positive speech. The world's full of God's children, even though some don't acknowledge the genealogy. Christians understand that we have a standard for life. It's the Bible. The Bible prescribes how we talk and how we act around others. Our speech is often the only thing people know about us, especially in a public way. For Christians, that puts a very high level on how our Christian speech comes across. Let's start with negative. We'll read Ephesians 4 and 29. Do not let any unwelcome, unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So we're to keep a wholesome outlook, we're to speak well, and we're to show and speak our brotherly love. I'm going to have to ask you to bear with me a second. I recently heard a conversation that included profanity, and since we're on negative speech, that seemed to be part of it. So kind of hoping that I don't repeat what I heard. The guy on the right, the chicken, he's saying chicken language, cheap. But his brother over there to the left, he's kind of a, got a new word, it's bleep. And just as in what I'm going to relate to you, mama doesn't seem to be approved of what he's saying. When I was in Tampa, I, um, and oh, by the way, there's a lot of material on profanity in Tampa. It's a, it's a mixed population, and thereby it's a mixed culture. So our values are not necessarily going to be what we see when we come across people who are from an entirely different culture. I was reminded of that in Walmart. I passed a mom on one aisle that was pushing a buggy. She had a, like a little six or seven year old bouncing up and down on the end of it. As I came near to him, I heard mom say to the little one, go get me some crackers. The response surprised me because the little one said, I don't want any bleak crackers. A little shocked, a little not prepared. That comes out of a little six-year-old. What could it be? Is this school? Is this playground? Was this an older cousin trying to put him up to no good, just to give mom misery? Not sure. But as I pass by mom, I see her lock eyes. Uh-oh, it's on. Good thing we're not in the soap aisle, young man. <laughs> this could get messy for us. That's not what I got. Mom said, you better go get me some bleep crackers or you won't be able to sit on your bleep bleep for a month. Although we don't approve of profanity, the little guy lights out like his hair's on fire. I'm assuming he's going to the cracker aisle. What our standards are, are God's standards. And that's not always the case in all the people we meet on the street. We may be the only positive role model in that person's life on that particular day. 
We need to get it right. I always forget that slide. Crackers now. <laughs> Here we go on to insults and, and uh, malicious insults. This is not one. These are the kind of jeering you get from your friends. Uh, that checkpoint from them. But malicious insults as well as profanity provoke a, ne provoke a negative emotion from all of us. Though offensive profanity is not always directed at us, it's harmful. Profanity is harmful. The reason is God's intention is for us not to be that person. Some see cruel and distasteful people as in vogue. They speak the language of the immature. Profanity is sometimes meant to be insulting and harmful, but not always. The people who, there are people who just express themselves in that way, and that's natural for them. That's the family in Walmart. They're not always aware of their offense or their inappropriateness. We need to shine with God's standard, just certainly when we're around those kind of people. Bad language and bad behavior or companions. They usually show up together. From vulgar radio music that you may hear in the next car over to traffic light to our televisions. Even though we didn't tune into a certain program, it still will show up there. That's not enough. It's painted on bridges and, and uh, buildings for us. It's often filled with bitterness, hatred, and oppression. In a general way, society is more and more accepting. People who embrace that lifestyle are naturally less concerned about what we think because we don't maintain the, the same standards, God's standards. Galatians 5 at 19, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, faction, and envy. Drunkenness, orgies, and the like, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Some of us are going to be exposed to things that could strongly alter a life path. We may become targets for ridicule. Sooner or later, everyone will confront a ranting antagonist, someone simple or cruel. Their behavior is not intended for our good. We have to develop strength and patience when we deal with these type of people. It's fine just to walk away. By not participating, we make a strong statement. Not being an audience is not participating. The most dangerous people that we ever meet not only model bad behavior, but they teach it. They encourage unreasonable thinking. They encourage talking to and about others. It poisons the mind and will ultimately put despair where hope once was. It demands we question everything we know and presses us toward one false conclusion. Nobody matters and nothing matters. This is a core belief of hedonism or self-indulgence. John 17 says we're part of society but occupy very limited space. We are in the world but set aside for a holy purpose. 
Discipleship calls for dedication and zeal. We must project the image and the values of Christ. We will be tested. We can't defend every attack on God's Word or God's people. But in every case, we must have some impact. We're human. We have to be cautious because by being human, we have the frailties that come with that package. We've got to be careful not to allow our frustrations or anger to cause an in-kind response. Know your limits. Know your triggers. It's better to walk away than to betray your faith. Live the standard, God's standard, in those ways. Let's look at Matthew 16 at 1. The Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. He replied, when evening comes, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. In the morning, today it will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of Jonah. Jesus then left them and walked away. I had an old boss 20 years ago named Ron. Ron was a Christian. We spent a lot of our breaks talking about Bible topics. He uh, had been comparing culture, the changes in culture and Bible principles. He was a really good Bible student. What some of his conclusions were is that about every 100 years or so, about a generation, you see kind of an ebb and a flow curve. You see that we get to a point in society where we completely respect God and we follow His ways. And then with that generation it fails to not follow God, to not put Him in His place. I'm not sure how scientific that is, but I did read the other day that we're in a, a cycle of moral redefinition. Things that were once considered wrong are now considered right. Things that were considered right are now considered wrong. Society mostly understands this shift and takes it with some modern, uh, moderate apathy and acclamation. Either we don't care or we don't notice it anymore. Closer we get as a society to full acceptance of that degrade, the more negative society, society becomes and the more difficult that will be for Christians to survive with one standard and not cave in. There's one essential question Christians must answer. How are we to practice our faith unobstructed and live in a world with so many distractions? There's only one answer. Ultimately, we worship and serve God who's greater than anyone. We have to focus on His Word and the rest is just clutter or noise. The protagonist fights for his causes to the exclusion of others. Hidden agendas can draw us in. They're packaged and covered with lies. 
Herein lies the greatest bias and the greatest oppression. We must continue to articulate our Christian views in our actions and expressions without wavering. We don't want truth to become invisible. Romans 1, we'll read at 28. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind, so that they would do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They're gossip, slanders, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue they do these, to do these very things, but they also approve of others who practice them. It's interesting to me that at the end of that reading, that these who disobey God, who are rebellious, they know what God wants them to do. That's kind of a, a different turn. But they continue. And not only that, they start recruiting other people to become just like them. Certainly we see that in society at times. There was once a man, he decided that today, because I can, I'll cause a nation to worship as I want. My gods will be their gods. I'll erect a great monument for all the world to see and bow before. So the man created and erected a great image. He decreed that all who passed before it must stop bowing and worship. He arranged for music to play to cue the people. He announced in his speech at its dedication in front of all the leaders and dignitaries that he had a plan to ensure compliance. If anyone defied the order, they'd be put to death, not just take them away a quiet death, but he would throw them in a furnace. Sounds like something worthy of Hitler, but it was actually much later. It was King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. He introduced the image and his intent. He spoke his command. It was repeated in every language. Things seemed to be going fairly well until the whispers came back. There were men who had ignored the king's wishes. The king was outraged. He called the men before him and said, either you'll comply or you'll die. Make your choice. Men said, we cannot and we will not. The king had them bound just as he had promised and thrown into the fire. As the king watched and waited for the sounds and sights of excruciating pain and death, he jumped to his feet and turned to his advisors. He asked them, weren't there three men that we threw in the fire? The advisor said, yes, master. And the king said, I see four. The men were retrieved from the furnace unharmed. Nebuchadnezzar said, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego has sent his angels and rescued his servant. We will not speak against their God, for no other 
can say in this way. When we face people who speak in ways we know to be anti-Christ, consider why. It simply may be their way of seeking an audience to, to proclaim their invented religion. If you can't influence them for God, then walk away as in Matthew 10, 14, where they shook the dust off their feet. Ultimately, for those who practice wickedness, who shout down and curse others, there will be a reckoning. God has a standard for how we treat others. God has a, a standard for how they treat us. Let's read Tim, uh, Titus uh, chapter 2, and we'll start at 6. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. When I visited Rachel, uh, she normally goes to Henderson with Camya. I think Ralph Walker is there. But the first Sunday I was there, we went to Temple Terrace. Uh, just like here, people would come up to us and greet us. And we'd have that little short conversation. The question that always was there was, where do y'all attend? And when I answered it, I'd say, we go to Oak Mountain. It's, uh, it's, it's in Birmingham. Uh, as you're going up I-65, you'll see it off on the right if you're going north. If you're coming south, it's on the left. But okay, if you want to go on, I, way too much detail. <laughs> so when you're doing that to people, you get this little blank. Like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. and I'm not sure I'm concerned anymore. <laughs> After about two or three of those, Miss Rachel leans over and she says, hey, you're not doing that right. <laughs> Okay, how many ways can you answer that question? But I'm listening. She said, they really love Kevin Clark here. I said, really? Yeah, I knew he preached a lot of places, but I didn't think about Tampa. She said, oh yeah. She said, if he can get a gap in his schedule, they're going to ask him to come down and be with him. I said, okay, okay, I got you. So the next person that comes up, we're standing there, and we ultimately get to the question, where do y'all attend? And before I could say anything, Miss Rachel leans in and says, we go where Kevin Clark goes. <laughs> said, oh, you go to Oak Mountain in Birmingham, don't you? Just off the, yeah. Lesson learned. The essence of speech. Get it in the form that people understand and appreciate. And I'm, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry, Kevin, I gotta take a shot. Those t-shirts are really paying off for you, dude. <laughs> The next Wednesday, we were back at Temple Terrace. They announced that Keith Stoneheart, the preacher from Fultondale, the guy with the mohawk, was going to be with them in a week, and Rachel told me that had already happened. I talked to her a couple of weeks ago. Keith has traveled a, a very difficult road in his life. He's, he's dealt with the hardship of addictions. He, he's got a remarkable story. He's somebody you should meet if you haven't. He's a pretty neat guy. He works hard every day to make sure he's on the right path. I appreciate people like Kevin and Keith and Bob 
and uh, Bill was here with us Wednesday night, and so many others that travel at great expense, and I don't mean money, and that's to teach and preach the gospel. They make it look easy, but most of us consider that very, very difficult. Speech class from a long time ago. I had room for one elective that I needed. Turns out it was speech class. Four hours on a Saturday morning, and I already understood that when you get there, the teacher's gonna point at you, and you got five minutes on whatever she says to prepare and present. And I hated that. But it has enormous impact. It really helps you in life. If you get there, you're at that age where you have to make that decision, go ahead and go with it. It's, it's tremendous. It's a changer. The first class, I remember that she said something you've all heard. There are two things that all people have in common as fears. Fear of falling and the fear of public speaking. Public speaking, that fear is known as glossophobia. It has its root in the social phobias. It comes from a fear of being judged. Even the best speakers in the world are going to be anxious if they get up in front of a crowd. The secret to tackling a, a public speaking assignment is really not a secret at all. It's a lot of hard work, a lot of organization, a lot of redundancy and, and going over your notes and trying to pro provide a way to present them. You'll become a with, with, with it comes rewards, you'll become a, a, a better listener generally in your life. Your confidence will grow. And on, on a personal note, no more hiding in the bathroom when you get Simon looking for you because he needs a volunteer. <laughs> that was tough in the old days. Remember to surrender yourself. Think about being a giver. That's who you are when you're talking to people. You may be the one speaking, but it's not about you. There could be a need for more detail on, on a particular topic or just a, a different vantage point, and you really have that to offer. Share insights about something that we all think about and we'd like to be better. Put it in terms that we can relate to. If you'll tie facts to personal life experience, whether you succeeded or failed at that experience, either are appropriate and valuable. It's like sharing an eyewitness testimony. People gain wisdom from your experience. Age does not always bring wisdom. Experience plus knowledge, that's wisdom. We sometimes think of, of speech topics as primarily for men, but that's just not the case. The duty to speak and share God's Word has not been parceled by gender. There's some biblical reasons for what setting that public speech occurs. That's one of the limiting factors. Rachel and I were talking about uh, something she had attended with some folks here. I, I can't remember if it was a class here or a conference off-site. It was a girls-only event. She said she completely enjoyed it. The speakers were incredible and motivating. 
The singing was awesome. There are plenty of leadership roles for everyone at this congregation. Many of you are great at articulating. It would be a shame to leave any valuable resource unchecked. I want to challenge you to step into that role, your nerves, your lack of confidence, and all. All that solves itself in time. Push yourself and grow. Nobody grows in a comfort zone. Everyone will experience something a little different into how you get through that moment, how you prepare, but it will come out okay. Take a step in God's direction. Both Jeremiah and Moses were asked to do just exactly that. Moses needed Aaron for help. Jeremiah was very, very young. And both Moses and Aaron were very old. Jeremiah and Moses felt they were incapable of speaking, but God assured them they were fine. Let's read uh, Jeremiah 1 at 5. I know I'm going fast. It's a time thing. I've got all these up here. I hope you're okay with that and that we get through this. I'll read Jeremiah 1, starting at 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, so sovereign Lord, I said, I, I do not know how to speak. I'm too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid. For I am with you and I will rescue you, declares the Lord. And in Exodus 6 at 30, But Moses said to the Lord, Since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I, I've made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you. And your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go. All right, 2 Corinthians 1 at 3. Praise be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. One of the most powerful ways we use our speech is to comfort others. These private conversations often have more at stake and more impact than any public appearance. There's nothing more alarming and realizing that a friend is in trouble and needs our help. They need someone trusted to talk with. Most of us feel so ill-prepared. That's what makes this so difficult. You want to instill hope in a better day coming message. That seems hardly enough. I remember what my, my brother-in-law said when he lost his daughter, my niece, to a car accident. David said, I've, I've lived my last happy day. He didn't have to say it. You could see it in his face and with the emotion. Part of your ability to comfort will be to hold your friend as they find their way 
off an emotional ledge that they just woke up on. It's an indescribable feeling when your world is turned upside down. When a tragic loss occurs, we often feel shocked, numb, and we find it hard to believe that it's even happened. The trauma often brings feelings of intense grief, feelings of helplessness, as we painfully search for why. Why did this happen? What possible good could come from this? Those are questions that we as humans just simply cannot answer. Tragedy strikes without notice, without regard, without respect. Reality is that if we could change that situation, any of us would. Never going to be a perfect thing to say. There's never going to be a perfect thing to do. But we need to be there encouraging and consoling. That is our best direction. Most of us respond very well when we know we're not in that alone. I had a friend who went through a, an unexpected divorce. He didn't know how to respond and he didn't even know really what all had happened. He said the numbing effects from the trauma is so overwhelming your brain seems to send all its resources to somewhere else. He remembered sitting on the couch in his living room. 24 hours later, hadn't moved an inch. He said he would get in the shower until he finally felt cold water running down his back simply because he did not know what to do next. His brain was numb. He couldn't think through the most simple tasks. Kind words and encouragement have the ability to support, provide confidence, and a vision of hope. It's interesting that although encouragement is fairly easy to give, we don't freely give it. We all feel so inadequate that we're not going to meet the challenge. Let's read James 5 at 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is a powerful and effective thing. The most important part of our speech for a Christian is when we speak to God in prayer. The most de basic definition of prayer is talking to God. It's not meditation or passive reflection. It's a direct access to God. It's the communication of the human soul with the creator of that very soul. Prayer is a primary way for the believer to communicate with God. When we make our petitions to God, we essentially say, not my will, but yours. The key to answered prayer is praying according to the will of God and in accordance with His Word. Prayer is not seeking our will to be imposed, but to align ourselves better with the will of God. Proverbs 18 at 13, to answer before listening, that is folly and shame. We all have some trouble recognizing one of the most vital components of speech. That's knowing when not to. During conversations, listen for content, meaning, and feelings for what the other person is trying to communicate. Don't interrupt. It makes them feel ignored. 
For us to have a happy, healthy, good relationship, we need to be intentional about our listening. Listening is a very important Bible concept. We're commanded to listen to God's instructions. We're commanded to love one another, and one of the best ways to express our love is to listening. There are no amount of words that can overcome that and express our love better than just taking the time to listen to our brothers and sisters. Listen is one of the easiest things that you'll ever do. It's also one of the hardest. Philippians 4, at verse 8, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. The Pollyanna Principle is the tendency for people to remember pleasant things more accurately than unpleasant. When I was 20, I, I worked with Alabama Gas in their engineering group. My first week there, I met the secretary. Her name was Brenda. We were both 20 years old. We talked about everything. We had a lot of things in common. I remember one day Brenda said, when I break up with somebody or end a relationship, I try to think about everything negative that I can remember about the person. Anything they did bad or should have been better or didn't meet my expectations. And for me, that reduces the recovery time that that's not going to work out before I can move on with my life. I didn't kind of book that, but I remember it because there's just weird, odd stuff that I do remember. But what I know is, is Brenda was putting Philippians 4 in reverse. It's a relationship passage. Instead of reaching out and embracing, she was pushing back. It's a very, very powerful tool to know that. You either think good or you think bad. You're going to get results from either one of those two. When we care about someone, we not only want the best for them, but we expect the best from them. We don't get the care and the love reciprocated. We're already on the rocks and in trouble. Let's read Genesis 37 at 3. Now Israel, or Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. He made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him, could not speak a kind word. After Joseph's brothers had mistreated him, after he had recovered and he had risen to power, he could have had those brothers beheaded. It was well within his command. He could have done anything he wanted. So he did. He loved them. He forgave them. Joseph was saved because of his abiding faith. He overcame great evil with good. Romans 12 and 21 do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In the story of uh, Joseph and his brothers, the theme, at least one of them, is forgiveness. Just like Joseph, we're called to forgive those who have offended us. 
and see life's experiences as a part of God's plan to help us serve others. Speak positively into people's lives because God speaks positively into ours. Here's our conclusion. We're all going to be involved in private speech and, and possibly public speech, and we're certainly going to comfort friends over the way. And we do want to understand a little bit and dodge street profanity. Here's, uh, here's some rules, very generalized rules. We should respond gently when we meet anger. We can share truth lovingly. Always, always speak truth, share wisdom and experience. Timing could be critical, respect that, and certainly no bad language. Words mean something. They unveil our thoughts. You'll be remembered for the words you say. And you'll also be remembered for those you don't. Tonight, if you're a Christian, you may have let problems come into your life. This is your time. That's why we're here. If you're not a Christian, then you don't have the ability Christian speak. You, you need to be able to remedy that. Again, that's why we're here. If anybody has any needs at all, come, come forward while we all stand and sing together.